ESPN Plus and ESPN Caribbean alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. This is episode 312 of the show. And Herc, all I have to say, it's been a busy couple of days since our last program, at least for me up here in the United States. How are you doing down there in Mexico? I'm doing fabulous. Um, Do you get any phone calls? Anything interesting happen over, over yeah. the last few days? I, I feel like you made some ruckus. Uh, I feel like we caused a little bit. No, no. Just a day's work. Just a day's work. How you doing, Sebi? I missed you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can't wait to get you back here in the United States. Got some big plans for 2024, but we'll discuss those uh, at the end of the show. We got a lot to get to, Herc, here in this episode of Football Americas. In just a little bit, we're going to be showing you our ballots uh, for U.S. Soccer's end-of-the-year awards. Uh, by the way, the official ballots were due at noon Eastern time today. So I hope, hope Herc, uh, that you got yours in. We got some new managers in Liga Mekis. Big clubs, but with big problems. And we got some free agency news out of both Major League Soccer and the NWSL. But Herc, uh, why don't we start this edition of the show with the story that dominated Monday's edition of Football Americas and that has been rocking American soccer all week. Uh, Major League Soccer's now stunted plans to pull first teams out of the U.S. Open Cup. Wednesday morning, U.S. Soccer announced it had ruled against allowing MLS to remove its first teams from the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup and replace them with teams from MLS Next Pro. This, of course, followed Friday's announcement by Major League Soccer of their intent to exclusively use MLS Next Pro teams as their representation in the Open Cup. What's reminding you, U.S. Soccer's professional league standards, the rules by which the Federation sanctions its leagues, requires Division I teams to participate in all representative U.S. Soccer and CONCACAF competitions for which they are eligible, i.e., the Open Cup. So what was the response from Major League Soccer to the ruling from the Federation? Where they also gave a little bit better explanation as to why they took the decision in the first place. Quote, there are several goals and concerns that must be addressed in connection with the tournament, including developing young professionals and providing them with greater opportunity to play before fans in meaningful competition in a tournament setting, prioritizing player health and safety, reducing schedule congestion for MLS clubs, and enhanced investment from U.S. soccer. That's the response from MLS. Herc, what's your response to U.S. soccer's ruling? I'm going to be honest. I was uh, pleasantly surprised, Seb. Really surprised. I didn't think there would be a response so swiftly and so adequately from U.S. soccer. I, I guess I... I shouldn't be surprised because the right thing was done, but it does surprise me that the right thing was done. There's another thing that surprised me. There were lots of parties that made their voices heard, whether it was fans, whether it was media, whoever the case may be, some soccer media, some outside of the soccer media, mm -hmm. your voice worked, but you were heard. And whether mm -hmm. that made U.S. soccer in some way, shape, or form rethink their position, or not. Maybe that was their position the whole time, and they were going to say, no, this isn't what we're going to do. We're not going to allow you to do this. We're not going to allow you to kill the U.S. Open Cup. It worked. It happened. Okay? What surprises me here is not that your voice worked. What surprises me here is not that U.S. soccer took a stand or that MLS was looking out for MLS. It's the parties that stayed silent. Now, I'm an, I'm an ex-player. And as an ex-player, I, I almost feel bad that we've not heard anything from the MLSPA. We've not heard anything from Bob Boos, the director of the MLSPA, 
who's beholden to every single player on that team. Now, I want to read something to you that Bob Foos mentioned June, okay, when U.S. the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup and Bob Garber were in the news because Garber said it wasn't what they wanted, a reflection of Major League Soccer to the world, et cetera, et cetera. He said, I will say this, in my personal opinion, it's not at the level that our players should be playing at. At this point, the venues aren't there, the facilities aren't there, the structure of the tournament isn't contributing to making MLS a better league, and I think it's something that ought to be pondered. That's Bob Foos, who should be beholden to every single player on that roster, not one through seven, not one through eight, one through 10. Every single on that, every single player on that roster, one through 28. There are a lot of players, including myself, that got their starts by playing in this tournament that want to have a better opportunity for themselves, for their family, for their careers. And this opportunity could be in this tournament. And by the way, by the way, this tournament should be taken seriously, should be taken seriously. There's a CONCACAF Champions Cup spot up for grabs. And also, also winning the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup gives you more money than the MLS Cup for winning that. So it should be taken seriously. So I was a little bit taken aback by the lack of response by certain individuals in this situation. So I want to stick with a positive here because I think this is a, a big W, Herc, a big win for U.S. soccer. And to your point, the, the obvious thing to do here was pretty clear. We knew what the right thing to do was, right? If Liverpool and the Premier League pulled out of the FA Cup, you knew what the response from the FA would have been. But we couldn't take that for granted here in the United States. We talked about it on Monday's show. We've addressed it many times here on Football Americas. The long history between U.S. soccer and MLS is one that has shown us that U.S. soccer pretty much does what MLS wants it to do, even if that might be at the detriment of, of other actors in the American soccer space. So for U.S. soccer here to take a stand um, is significant, Herc. This feels like kind of a watershed independence moment uh, in my opinion, in terms of the U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer relationship, and I've always thought that that would be overall very good for American soccer. I think from the MLS perspective, though, we can say, judge, judging by the response of U.S. soccer, that there was like a grave miscalculation here in terms of what the response would be. And I think for multiple parties, um, right? I think MLS miscalculated the response from the Federation. I think they miscalculated the response to your point from fans. And I think they were, you know, miscalculated the response from us here in the media, not just us here on this show, but you know, I mentioned it on ESPN FC yesterday when the Dan Patrick show, which is a totally mainstream sports show that never talks about soccer, is talking about this. Um, Herc, that's, that's really major. And there are some people at MLS that will tell you, well, you know, fans don't care about the Open Cup. And they don't say it flippantly, right? They back it up with data that they get from their consultants. But, Herc, you and I, like, we know data, too, because we watch it for our shows and our clips, right? If you go right now on the ESPN FC YouTube channel, this is real talk. There is not a single MLS clip, Herc, that has done more hits than this that was not like Lionel Messi related, right? If it's not Messi related, anything MLS is getting one-tenth of the views that this content about MLS potentially leaving the Open Cup is getting. This is a big deal. This is bigger than Major League Soccer. This isn't about American soccer. And Herc, I think that's why we saw the overwhelming response from public media and everybody else that we've seen in the last few days. I hope you're right. I hope you're right that that was at least part of what pushed U.S. soccer or maybe put them in a corner that they had to respond in this way. Um, but I don't know, Herc, 
that we're in the clear yet. I don't know that we're in the clear yet. One, one interesting note that I picked up in the reporting from our colleague uh, Kyle Bonagura, I don't know if you saw this over at ESPN.com, uh, he mentioned this, which was very interesting and shed some light on the process of how this happened. He reports that U.S. soccer was only fully briefed of Major League Soccer's plans on Friday, the day that MLS announced them. So everybody's playing nice right now. And to your point, a lot of people are being very quiet. We've tried to get people from both uh, MLS and U.S. Soccer to join us on this show. Uh, tonight, they both passed. Um, so I acknowledge that people are being quiet. But right now, people are being nice. And that gives me hope for the future. How do you think this is going to play out? I don't think it's over. I think I tweeted as much. Listen, uh, this is all negotiations and negotiations between U.S. Soccer, mm -hmm. between Major League Soccer. This is what it is. At the end of the day, it's money between these two. I don't think people are correct in assuming that because you don't care for the tournament, this is correct. This is right. It should be allowed. People are misinterpreting that situation here. It's okay not to care about Major League Soccer. It's okay not to care about the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. I don't agree with it. We did a seven-hour gold cast here mm -hmm. on Football Americas. We've given it its place. Listen, I had a 30-second bathroom bake in seven hours. Mm -hmm. We give it its place here. But if you don't care about the Open Cup, you don't care about MLS, you don't care about USL, you don't care about amateur football, that's the great thing about U.S. soccer and its umbrella. But you need to coexist. When you're playing big bank, take little bank. When you're playing big brother, pushes everybody around, that's not right. And that's what people are upset about here. Yeah, when I read this MLS statement, to your point about a negotiation, it reads like the beginnings of a negotiation. They want more young player opportunities. They want more player health and safety. I don't know what the Open Cup can do about that. That's kind of an MLS thing. Uh, they want to reduce schedule for MLS teams, which maybe, I don't know, the Open Cup could let MLS teams come in later, uh, or maybe they could let fewer MLS teams come in. The bottom line, the last thing that they ask for there, though, is investment. And we know that that just means money. But, Herc, you know that's especially rich, given the fact that the people re responsible for investing in the U.S. Open Cup for the last 20 years was Major League Soccer through Soccer United Marketing and that marketing partnership. So to say that that investment isn't been there uh, is a little bit much. But I got to tell you this. My gut tells me that come 2024, Herc, MLS first teams will be in the U.S. Open Cup. Maybe not all of them, and maybe we're not going to see first-team players in the first rounds, but i got to think we're heading towards a peaceful resolution here because nobody wants the nuclear option that I suggested before, which is MLS loses its Division I sanction. That's not good for Major League Soccer, and that's not good for U.S. Soccer either, probably in the long haul. Well, that's not good for American soccer. You, you, you need a, a solvent first division, uh, and I think Major League Soccer's proven that. Listen, there are things about Major League Soccer that... Some people don't like you included, in that, and that's fair. Your prerogative. Mm -hmm. But it needs to exist. It just needs to coexist with the rest of these leagues. I actually agree with what you're saying. There are ways to make this tournament enticing for everybody. Maybe there's a certain amount of Major League Soccer teams that you have to qualify for this tournament. Make it enticing. And once you're in this tournament, U.S. Soccer's goal is to grow the game in this country. Have Major League Soccer markets. Have the MLS teams go and always play away at these smaller markets. That's how you're going to grow the game. When these smaller markets like a Sacramento Republic, which is an amazing market, and Orlando, or excuse me, uh, 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 um, uh, Racing uh, St. Louis, or whatever the case may be, not St. Louis, uh, Racing Louisville. Louisville. Um, yes, or in Oklahoma, or any one of these markets, Detroit, when they get a major league soccer team in their market, mm -hmm. and you can have a real atmosphere, you get fans hooked. That's how you grow the game. Stop playing in these MLS markets where they take the games to these high school fields. Stop playing in MLS markets where they don't market the games themselves. 
Take it to the lower divisions always. Yeah, timing is key here. We got a little bit of a break coming up, so maybe uh, cooler heads will prevail. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, obviously kind of big news across the, across the ocean. Uh, a European top court, Herc, ruled on Thursday that uh, UEFA and FIFA's ban on would-be Super League clubs and players is illegal, which of course we know uh, kind of reopens the door to the Super League project. Uh, what do you make of it, Herc? So it's interesting because it doesn't mean it's going to happen. And there are many teams that back the Super League at first and due to the fan reaction, due to the media's reaction, you know, they, they pulled out. And it seems that only a few teams are actually still in it, most notably Barcelona and Real Madrid. What this essentially tells me is not that the Super League is going to happen, Seb, but that negotiations, once again, it's about money, will happen. Because you have to think about it from the club's perspective. You're the ones who pay the salaries, you insure the players, you take the brunt of the responsibility and risk so these teams, so your club, can play in the UEFA Champions League. But who does the marketing? Who does the TV deals? Who does the endorsements, the commercial opportunities? Who gets the bulk of that? It's UEFA. Well, now these clubs, they want a piece. They see the value that they bring. And I think that's fair. I think this is all posturing in the end to try to get more of that pie. Based on what we've been through here in the United States in the last, I don't know, week or so, I, I'm kind of disheartened by it, Herc, I got to say. Like, the whole story of the Super League was the fans rose up and stopped it. And now we find out that even when the fans rise up and stop it, eventually the lawyers and the clubs and the rich will kind of get what they want. Uh, hopefully that ha doesn't happen here with the fans wanting MLS teams in the Open Cup. But I think on a bigger picture, Herc, you are seeing what is going to be only a constant and more obvious struggle between open system and closed system. We have it here in the United States where people want a closed system to maybe be more open. Uh, and in Europe, it's the other way around, where you got people trying to close down an open system. There's incredible tension around this um, all around the world. And honestly, I think it's going to be one of the bigger storylines in this sport for the next decade. Because I'll tell you what, um, there's a lot of things that set soccer apart and make it a, a great sport. But promotion and relegation, that open system, especially in Europe, man, I mean, that's, that's to me, to me, the magic of the game. So I hope they don't lose it in it's Europe, and I hope here in the United uh, States it's posturing. we get just a little bit uh, more of it, certainly around the Open Cup. Uh, speaking of Major League Soccer and some big news that they've been dropping in the last week, they also dropped their schedule for the upcoming season on Wednesday. That'll be the uh, 29th season in league history. Earliest start in MLS history, February 21st, Inter-Miami uh, Inter and Lionel Messi going to kick things off against RSL at home. Every team gets the usual 34 games, 17 home, 17 away. Some key dates, All-Star game will be in Columbus July 24th. The League's Cup break will be July 26th through August 25th. Uh, decision day, last day of the regular season, October 19th, MLS Cup, December 7th. Herc, are you cool with it? You got any big takeaways there from the MLS schedule? Can we just start off for a second uh, and talk about Messi's schedule? Like, how, mm -hmm. how ridiculously dumb is that? It's a preseason tour uh, across Asia and the Middle East to roll into the Major League Soccer schedule, to the League's Cup schedule, to the Copa America schedule that he will have mm -hmm. come this summer. And Inter Miami's favored by the bookies at minus 400, which is great because on paper they could have the best team. Now, let me get into my... I hate to support a shield rant, please, okay? What are you doing? Yeah. Inter Miami's favored to win the league, minus 400, yet they will only play 
six times against Western Conference foes. So you're doing a disservice to Inter-Miami. You're doing a disservice to everybody in their conference and the Western Conference by not having a balanced schedule. How can you determine an outright champion in the Supporters' Shield for that race, a, a CONCACAF Champions League spot, Champions Cup spot, I should say, and it's unbalanced? And how can you deny certain markets the opportunity of seeing the GOAT, of seeing the world's best ever player in Lionel Messi. I absolutely hate the schedule. I absolutely hate the unbalanced schedule part of it. I absolutely hate the way they go about it. I hate how they give a prize to determine a regular season champion for a team that's not gonna play the same amount of teams as the rest. It's, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous to me. Yeah, just real quick on Messi, man. He's gonna miss a lot of games. You know, there's at least six games just in the Copa America window alone. You can figure there's maybe Herc a game or two on either side of that tournament um, that he might miss as well. Forget the international friendlies and stuff. You talk about the Inter Miami at plus 400. Um, I know all they got to do to win MLS Cup is get into the playoffs, and that's not all that hard in Major League Soccer, but we're talking about some major minutes missed here for Messi, aren't we? Well, I don't know about major minutes missed because Messi's proven he's of a different cloth. He's a different animal. He wants to compete every time he's on the field. And that was Inter-Miami's downfall last season down the stretch is the man was playing all the time, so he got injured. And then they tried hiding the injury from everybody. They were saying he wasn't injured when he was clearly injured and he missed over a month. So something has to give because this player, the player, the player will always want to play. And sometimes you need to protect the player from themselves. How do you do that with a guy like Messi who governs himself pretty much? Are you going to tell Messi he can't play? I think it's a recipe for disaster. You're, you're, you're asking a guy who's entering his 37th you know, birthday to, to be physically fit with that amount of games. I, I just think it's a bad deal. Before we move on, uh, quickly, one thing I like, one thing I don't like about the schedule. What I don't like, Herc, is what are they going to do in the summer, right? If you look at the summer here, between Copa America and Leagues Cup, right, from the start of Copa America to the end of Leagues Cup, you basically got a 10-week window. And within that 10-week window, I think you've got less than two weeks where if you've got players playing in international football, you're going to have your full roster. And that's at a time, by the way, in the schedule where a lot of MLS teams, Herc, are going to be playing three games a week. I'm not even talking about Euros. You might have some players in Euros as well. I think Euros starts two weeks before Copa America or the week before. So you're looking at a 12-week stretch in the summer, Herc, where whatever MLS you're getting, whether it's regular season or League's Cup, is going to look very different than what you get at the beginning um, and the end of the season. So, again, it's, it's scheduling issues and stuff like that that are problematic. But that summer's going to be weird, man. That summer's going to be very weird. The thing I like, real quick, the thing I like, real quick, because we've got to move on, they left the U.S. Open Cup dates available. Peace is in oh. the future, folks. I'm telling you, peace is in the future. Not for long, wow. because we're about to make some more enemies. Hopefully not with uh, Lionel Messi, maybe. Uh, dripping or tripping, Herc. Inter-Miami's 2024 kit has been leaked. What do you think? Uh, I've actually saw good. like the leaked pictures of the black one, and it's, it's somewhat cool. This hot pink Barbie, you know, dojo house, whatever they got going on there. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not with it. Wait, you can't hate on the color scheme. The color scheme for Inter-Miami is, is, I think, great. You're not hating on a color what, scheme here, are you? What don't you like about it, then? Are you giving it a dripping? Uh, you're, the, you're the fashionista here. I, I, I allow you 
Yeah, you're the fashionista. <laughs> that's, that's right, I am the fashionista. Corporate Seb. It's there a trippin'. It's a trippin'. trippin'. It's a trippin'. It's a trippin', man. I don't really? even get me started. Listen, they got cool colors, but make it a little less. Just a little, come on, come on, man. Wow, not a fan, not a fan. Shout out to their sponsor, which is uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. Of course, you can watch us on ESPN Caribbean on those cruise ships. So uh, there you have it. Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi, not Herc's favorite jersey for 2024. A reminder, right here on ESPN Plus, seven days a week. You only get us twice a week, but seven days a week you can watch ESPN FC. The crew is live at 5 p.m. Eastern throughout the week and live at 6 p.m. Eastern on weekends. Herc, just about 10 days left in 2023, which means it's almost time to find out who's going to win U.S. Soccer's end-of-year awards. In fact, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the official ballots were due at noon Eastern time today, Herc. Did you get yours in officially? Uh, I don't think I did. Mm. Uh, I don't even know if I got a vote. Did you get a vote? Uh, they send you an email with a link to vote. So, yes, uh, we all get a vote. Uh, you just apparently don't check your email. Let's get into the categories here, shall we? There are four, four categories that we can vote for. Uh, male Player of the Year, Female Player of the Year, Young Male Player of the Year, and Young Female Player of the Year, which is where we'll start. Here are your nominees. Onyeka Gamero, great year for the uh, under-20s. Savannah King, another player that made the jump from uh, U-17s to U-20s. Olivia Maltree, great U-20 World Cup, still eligible to play in the next one. Ali Setner, she was the captain of the U.S. U-20s. And of course, Alyssa Thompson, who was on the U.S. senior squad uh, at the World Cup at just 18 years old. Herc, who gets your vote here? I mean, this is a fairly easy one for me. It's, it's, it's Alyssa Thompson. And listen, Alyssa Thompson's 18 years old. and. This year she started 13 games for you know, Angel City, scored four goals, and I actually was there the day she debuted against Club America. And you can just see it instantly. There's a difference about her. There's a different gear. Physically, she's ahead. Uh, she's got that X factor. And she parlayed that into a U.S. Women's National Team appearance, which she parlayed then into a World Cup for, or for her. Uh, I know that she only played two games, 16 minutes total, 15 in one and one minute in the other. That's not on her. That's on Vlako Andonovsky. But she is a difference maker and will be a difference maker. And at 18 years of age, the best way I could describe her is she looks like she belongs. Every game I've watched, whether it's club or country, she doesn't look out of place. She looks like another player. She looks like she'd be a future difference maker. She's the clear one for me. So just to be clear, it's national team performances, right, that we're supposed to use for criteria when making these awards. I mean, great names on this list, but when you've got one that played in the Senior World Cup, I don't know how, Herc, you could give it to anybody uh, but Alyssa Thompson. Just an incredible player. I'm with you, man. In fact, when I think back at the World Cup, my great regret is that we didn't get more of her. Uh, we effectively got her in one game against Vietnam, and we didn't really see her against the proper competition that you want to see this young talent against at the World Cup Elite stage. So, I mean, that's probably the only disappointing part of her year is the, the small role that she played at the World Cup. But amongst this crew, she's, she's absolutely got to be the top on the list. Though, there's a lot of talent here. I mean, Olivia Moultrie made her senior debut, and Onyeka Gamero, man, is a name not to forget. We've had her highlights on this show a couple times from, like, uh, CONCACAF qualifying tournaments. She's skipping college and going to go play in Barcelona. She's playing with Barcelona B right now. Seems to have made a, 
a pretty good adjustment, fitting in well right there for her few, first few months abroad. So lots of young talent in that pool. We, we talked about it with Jeff Kasuf the other day. Maybe some, some worries about the American talent pool, not at the younger edge uh, for sure. What about the younger edge of the male talent pool? Who you got for Young Male Player of the Year? Herc, I'll give you the nominees here. Uh, Nimfasha Bertimas, he was the 15-year-old that lit up the under-17 World Cup. We got Gianluca Busio, played a lot with the Olympic group, playing over in Serie B with Venezia. Kevin Paredes of Wolfsburg, playing the U-20 World Cup. They got to the quarterfinals, made his senior debut in September. Uh, Jack McGlynn of the Philadelphia Union, played all five games at the under-20 World Cup. And Inter-Miami's Benjamin Kremaski made his uh, senior debut with the U.S. in September against Oman. He's also been a big part of the, let's call it, pre-Olympic group. Herc, who's getting your vote here? You know, I could make a case for pretty much any one of these players, but for me, I'm going to go with 20-year-old Jack McGlynn. Let me tell you why I'm going with Jack McGlynn. Listen, uh, I know this is U.S. men's national team, right? But Jack McGlynn made 27 appearances for Philly Union, Jim Curtin's Philly Union, as a 20-year-old in the center of the midfield. Uh, he should have parlayed that into a full U.S. men's national team call-up. It's actually a tragedy that Jack McGlynn, as talented as he was, didn't. And others were ahead of him. The man's got a very talented left foot for the U23s. He's played in all but one game in 2023. Very important part of that team, the U20s that qualified for the U20 World Cup. Important part of that team. I was upset this season when, no offense to Benjamin Kromaski, but it was Benjamin Kromaski that called up, got called up, excuse me, and not a player like Jack Morgan. I surely feel like he didn't get his due with the full national team being a youth player. So I'm going to give it to Jack Morgan. I thought he had a very good um, display with the U23s, a very good season with Philly, which I thought should have been parlayed into a full national team cap. I know the criteria is what you've done with the international teams at whatever level, but for this one, I'm applying my criteria, which is kind of closest to a real role in the senior national team. And for that reason, Herc, uh, I'm going with Kevin Paredes. Just a really strong finish to the year. He got called in in the September window. He got called in in the October window. He got called in in the November window. There was not just playing time in there. There was starts. There was, I know it was an assist on an own goal, as we're seeing there, but even a little bit of productivity. Um, obviously, you know, the, the wing positions for the U.S. men's national team are stacked. But when you get a Christian Pulisic out or when you get a Tim Way out, it's nice to look at a guy like Kevin Paredes, who's seen his role continue to grow and grow in the Bundesliga uh, and be able to rely on that. It's another testament to what I always say, which is just the incredible depth uh, of the U.S. men's national team pool. All right, let's move it up. I'm to sure I have nothing to do because he's players. from D.C. Oh, yes. And by the way, uh, he is not just a D.C. United product. A Bethesda Soccer Club product, a Bethesda Soccer Club near There dear, you go, there you go. Heart, to my heart. Uh, let's get to our Female Player of the Year candidates, shall we? And there are some uh, good ones here. Who do we got? Lindsey Horan, Crystal Dunn, Emily Fox, Naomi Gurma, and Sophia Smith. Not a great year for the U.S. Women's National Team, so who gets your vote here, Herc? Wow, um, this is almost addition by subtraction, right? <laughs> This is the easiest pick for me, if I'm being honest, because it's it's Naomi Gurma, and, it, and it's not even close. You look at what the 2023 was for the U.S. Women's National Team, and you look at dominant players. There was no more dominant, you know, player at the World Cup, or I should say, bright spot at the World Cup than Naomi Gurma and Julie Ertz in that center back position, that center back duo. Naomi Gurma had a breakout World Cup. I think she's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with for. 
a long time, for the better part of a decade. Uh, she's been dominant uh, every time she steps on the field. This was by far the easiest choice mm. out of all the uh, picks for uh, player of the year for the national teams that we're going to make tonight. Yeah, I won't disagree with you. I get the point you're making. You're kind of saying, hey, nobody had a good tournament. She had the least bad tournament, so kind of by default, I'm she giving a good it tournament. to Naomi. You think she had a good tournament? Yeah, they had the best defensive team, Seb, and she was easily – that was the bright spot for the U.S. Women's National okay. team was Julie right. Ertz and it's Naomi a bright spot. If it's a bright spot, no, 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 but a very no, no, bright no. spot. They, a that's very a best 11 spot. type of bright spot, Seb. It, wow. it's, it's not on them okay. that the team was – it's not on them that the team wasn't – had no punch, had no bite mm -hmm. up top. Defensively, I think they were the best defensive team in that World Cup. All right, we were. Um, I don't. If you're saying that statistically, if you're saying that by the eyeball test, I gotta disagree. I'm sorry, man. I saw how Wait, Portugal. I'm sorry. Made what's, what's the eyeball test to keeping the ball out of the net? I mean, you 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 gotta be you gotta be able to keep chances away from your goal against teams like Portugal. They almost get knocked out of the group phase because they couldn't keep the ball out of their net. Ball off the post, or they're gone well, in, Portugal in the group had one phase. chance and hit the post, Seb. Post right, that's vulnerability. Come on. <laughs> I'm gonna that vote Lindsay Horan here. The best part of that national team. Mm. I'm going to vote Lindsey Horan here. I give it to Lindsey Horan because in a World Cup where not a lot of people did anything, she did something. Of the four goals the U.S. scored, she had two. Uh, I think she also scored her penalty in the shootout against Sweden. And her goal, you talk about bright spots and the fact that there were few of them at the World Cup, her, her goal against Netherlands um, was like the one moment of the World Cup. You know, there were some moments against Sweden where you felt like they were playing well. But it was the one moment of the World Cup where I truly thought, there's that American fighting spirit. And it came from the number 10. It came from the captain. It came from the only player on the roster who's playing in Europe, uh, or was at least playing in Europe at the time of the World Cup. So Lindsey Horan uh, gets my vote for the 2023 U.S. Soccer Female Player of the Year. All right, one more to give out, Herc. Male Player of the Year for 2023. Your nominees are... Valerian Balligan, Eunice Musa, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, and Matt Turner. Who are you taking? All right. Let me just uh, say it's uh, – well, first off, it's Ricardo Pepe. Uh, let's get that out of the way right now. Ricardo Pepe, come on down. He is your U.S. Men's National Team Player of the Year. This man scored seven goals in, in ten appearances. He played um, checking 364 minutes total this year. That's – a goal every 52 minutes. Oh, and by the way, he did the majority of his damage coming off the bench. Disrespected, not taken to the last World Cup. How does he respond when he finally comes back to the U.S. Men's Mass Team? Lead the team in scoring. Every time you get on the field, prove why you should be there. All by being a kid 20 years of age. Ricardo Pepe is here to stay. And I don't want to hear anything about is he or is he not the player of the year? He is. And I don't want to hear anything about should he or should he not be in the debate as the starting nine? He should be. And here's another thing, okay? Ricardo Pepe, take it. Run with it. That's you. You've earned it. Nobody's taken this from you. But can I say how ridiculous it is that Anthony Robinson, Anthony Robinson isn't one of the nominations here? And this is nothing against Fowler and Balligan. But Fowler and Balligan scored two goals total for the U.S. men's national team. And in those performances, didn't look like he felt comfortable. Anthony Robinson's had a banner year for club. Keep the club out of it if you want. Mm -hmm. If you want. And country. The man, when he's been on the field, the U.S. men's national team only had one goal scored against them. And that was when Sergio Des got red carded in Trinidad. He's a force to be reckoned with. 
down that left-hand side. He's even chipping in with some goals and assists. I thought he had a banner year, mm. and I could not believe he wasn't one of the nominees. It's a good shout. It's that anti-defender bias that we never, ever succumb to here on Football Americas. My pick you goes just did it with to Naomi Christian Pulisic. <laughs> well, you're right. There's one example. But that was an anti-defender. That was an anti-defender. I'm going Christian Pulisic, man, and I'm leaning on the productivity here. Numbers are pretty clear. Eight appearances, six goals, three assists. Can't shake a stick at that. You got the CONCACAF Nations League title. You got more big moments against Mexico. Not one goal, but two uh, in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals on a pretty big night there uh, in Las Vegas. You got a great close to the year. Goals against Ghana, goals against Germany, including that one right there. What a beauty. Got a goal in the fall against uh, Uzbekistan as well. Already won it three times, Herc, uh, in his career and only 25 years old. Who knows, one day they may have to uh, rename the award after Christian Pulisic. What do you think? Got any problem with my Pulisic vote? Listen, it's a fair shout because while Ricardo Pepe scored more goals, there was no person who had more impactful goals um, in moments, big moments, than a Christian Pulisic. Uh, in big moments versus Mexico, the big moments versus Germany, the bright spot, I should say. He is Captain America, uh, the face of, I should say, U.S. soccer. But I'm going to stick with Ricardo Pepe, but it's not a bad shot. And you're, you're probably right. By the time it's all said and done, they'll name the award after him. He'll be the all-time leading goal scorer. He may make a run at Landon Donovan's all-time assist record, which Neymar is just short of mm. on the world's uh, stage. So what can I say? I mean, right now he's, he's doing everything right. There it is, our ballots for the 2023 U.S. Soccer End of Year Awards. You'll have to wait till uh, 2024 to find out who actually wins them. La Liga, back on ESPN Plus on Saturday. It's Atletico Madrid against Sevilla, who just fired their manager, Diego Alonso, the ex. Inter Miami and Rayados Man, coverage begins at 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time here on ESPN Plus. Let's run it back, Herc. Checking in on CONCACAF abroad. Taylor Booth, who made his uh, U.S. senior debut in March, scored for Utrecht in a 2-1 loss to Santi Jimenez's Feyenoord. Yeah, he started the season out injured and then regained his position, and then now he's trying to come off the bench. Oh, he's been coming off the bench. Actually got the start here, uh, gets his goal. It's going to do him some wonders for his confidence. He needs to get back on to those scoring ways. This was in the uh, Dutch Cup on Wednesday. No goals for Santi Jimenez as Feyenoord advanced. Anthony Robinson going the full 90 and then some as Fulham beat Everton in penalties Tuesday to advance to the semis of the Carabao Cup, Herc. Yeah, this man had 97 touches in this game. Nobody on his team touches the ball as many times as he does, and there's a reason for that. He's been a dominant player for Fulham. He won 8 of 10 ground duels in this game. No Raul Jimenez or Tim Ream in this game. Uh, for Fulham. Elsewhere in the Carabao Cup, Edson Alvarez started and went 81 minutes as West Ham got shellacked 5-1 by Liverpool. Dude, they got outshot 29-2, only 33% possession for the Hammers. It was a drubbing and Edson Alvarez was part of that. West Ham still live in the Europa League FA Cup, but definitely missing out on an opportunity at some silverware. Here's the draw for the Carabao Cup semis, which again are on ESPN+. Plus. It's Middlesbrough against Chelsea, first leg January 9th, second leg January 23rd at Stamford Bridge, and then Liverpool against Fulham, first leg at Anfield January 10th, second leg at Craven Cottage on January 
24th. Liga Anakis hurt Chivas have hired former Real Madrid midfielder Fernando Gago as the new manager replacing Belko Paunovic, who left the job just six days ago. The longtime Argentina international will be in his third managerial gig, but his first outside Argentina. Gago hired by his former teammate at Real Madrid, Fernando Hierro, who is now the sporting director at Chivas. Let's hear the plans for Chivas' new coach. Obviamente que, que pensaremos, buscaremos las mejores opciones posibles, no, no de hablar de, obviamente de nombres individuales, porque también creo que corresponde un respeto de mañana yo presentarme con el plantel, de tener eh, lo que más me gusta que es el diálogo cara a cara. A partir de eso veremos, hay poco tiempo de trabajo, eh, pero veremos la forma de, de tener los entrenamientos eh, acordes con gran, con gran tiempo, algunos van a hacer doble turno, empezar a trabajar, y, y, y de tener el conocimiento más rápido posible y que los, que los futbolistas también entiendan lo que pretendemos nosotros dentro, dentro del campo. The coaching carousels churning in the Mexican capital as well. Her Cruz Azul is set to install Martina Anselmi as their new manager. to be the fourth manager at the club in the last year. The 38-year-old Argentine is also in his third first team managerial job, previous experience uh, in both Chile and Ecuador. Herc, there are two big jobs. Who between these two coaches, Martina Anselmi at Cruz Azul and Fernando Gago at Chivas, do you think is most likely to succeed? Oh, that's a loaded question because both clubs have problems or are hot potatoes in their own in their own likes, uh, you've got Cruz Azul, who's dysfunctional from the top down, <laughs> but I, and Chivas, who, who's a hot potato right now because they're just in. They're it's an undisciplined team. Uh, no matter how you how you look at it, whether that's on the field or whether that's off the field, this team lacks that structure. But I'm going to go with Anselmi for Cruz Azul because he's got much bigger. I would say wallet in terms of the player pool he can select from. So you can go out and spend money on players that you won't have the chance to, or you won't have the luxury to with Chivas because you're limited to a Mexican only pool and there's a different market for those players, if you will. But right now, Toro Fernandez, who's going to go from Pumas to Cruz Azul, the forward who this year only scored six, six goals for uh, Pumas, he's going to go for 11 million. So you see they're spending. Now there's, there's rumors about Alexis Vega going from Chivas, or reports, I should say, going from Chivas to Cruz Azul, and maybe in a swap for Charlie Rodriguez. So they have those pockets, they have those funds, they've got a deeper pool. That's why I will say Cruz Azul. But also you've got to keep in mind, Fernando Gago on the other side with Chivas, he doesn't have a massive resume when it comes to being a first mm -hmm. division head coach. Mm -hmm. He's had two teams. He was successful um, one season in Argentina with Racing and the way they played. But the way they played was almost similar to his own DNA as a player. Listen, 2007, he makes a move to Real Madrid. And he's the player that's biting at the ankles, you know, hard tackler uh, both ways, you know, always living uh, football intensively, a lot of passion. And he wants his players to be the same. But he's also a guy that's been heavily reported that when he gets to a club, he's got that scale underneath his arm. He weighs players every single day before they hmm. come into sessions. There's that invisible training, how you take care of yourself as an athlete before you step onto those training grounds. He's all about that. That structure, that discipline is probably the Achilles heel for a team like Chivas. Those players aren't difference makers. And those players also at Chivas, 
They've not proven that they want to put that work in. So if you're asking me who's going to succeed, who would I bet my money on? Bet my money on Cruz Azul today. Yeah. I guess it depends what we call success, right? Because if success is lifting the Liga MX title, I don't think either of these guys are going to succeed. We're judging effectively these two clubs against each other. I like the point you, you make about Cruz Azul and them being a mess internally. I feel like they're probably like a bigger, uglier, grosser mess on the inside. But Chivas, because it's Chivas, gets a, a little bit more run. Like, like the, the problems that Chivas are splattered over the, the front pages of the headlines. The problems that Cruz Azul are very bureaucratic. And I always worry that eventually they, they trickle down uh, and they affect the on-field product. I don't think either of these two is great. If I had to lean one, I'll lean on sell me with you. Uh, and I'll do it for two reasons. One, what you say about the resume. He's got a, a more convincing resume. If you look at, at Gago and even the time at Racing, there's a couple trophies there, but they're like Super Cups, right? So they're basically one-offs. Um, what Anselmi was able to do in Ecuador, he was able to win not just domestic cup titles, but international cup titles. And being able to advance in a cup tournament uh, is gonna, should benefit you, I would think, in, in Liga Mekis, right? If you can get in uh, and you know how to manufacture results in advance, uh, I think that's a very a very good thing. And then, Herc, I just can't ignore the friends hiring friends aspect of this for Chivas. Um, not only is Gago's resume as a manager thin, but then you realize it's an old teammate hiring him. And that, that if I was a Chivas fan, would make me doubt. It really would. On top of the thin resume, that, that, that seems like you're not hiring a guy for the right reasons. Well, oh, oh, time out, time out. Uh, Argent, Argentine football is extremely competitive. Uh, he guided Racing to a second-place finish. They won those one-offs, but did they win those one-off tournaments or those one-off championships, if you will? And Fernando Gago, uh, one thing that he does have going for himself is that while he was at Racing, while he was at Argentine football, what's the one thing you have to do if you're in Argentine football? You've got to produce players. You've mm -hmm. got to form players. You've got to make sure these players at a very young age are playing first division football. What's the one thing that Chivas has not done well lately? Exactly mm -hmm. that. So that's one thing that I do think he has going for himself. And I wouldn't put too much stock with Fernando Hierro knows him, da 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 da. Everybody knows somebody, and that's how they get a job in football, in world football. That's a reality. These things are more common than people think. I'm not so hellbent. On, on, on that being the biggest factor. Mm. Resume, thin, sure. But you also, if you're Chivas, you have to know what you have and you've got to go back to your core. And I think those Fuerzas Basicas, that academy at Chivas, is its core. Chivas and Cruz Azul, two big jobs. And now we know who will be uh, in charge of those respective clubs. Let's move on with some transfer talk, Herc, shall we? Gerardo Arteaga, the one of the unused members of uh, Mexico's 2022 World Cup squad, is considering a move back to Mexico from Europe. The 25-year-old defender is currently at Genk in Belgium, and he's got interest from Club America. Now, reportedly, uh, Genk has rejected America's latest offer. The Belgian side apparently want to at least make back Herc, the 3 million euros they paid for Arteaga when they bought him from Santos back in 2020. What do you think? Is this the right move for Arteaga at 25 years old? I hate it. I hate it for a lot of reasons. Uh, first off, for Arteaga, Gerardo Arteaga, who when he first got the Genk had a very difficult time. It was 2020, in the middle of the pandemic. He was all by himself. He struggled 
It took him a while, not even a while. It took him like half a season to get going to finally win that starting position. But he won it. And for the last three and a half years, that's been his position. He's been a consistent contributor for Genk. He won a championship with him in 2021. And I hate it because Genk, and we'll get down the road in, in like a week, we're going to do a, a future uh, CONCACAF transfers holiday special. Mm. I will talk about Genk at length. You love Genk. But you this love man, Genk. I, I like Genk because it's a trampoline to bigger and better for a lot of different players. A lot of different players around the world and a few CONCACAF players, which I will mention down the road. But instead of using that trampoline, you're going to go back. And, and, and it's fine if you say, well, he's 25 years old. They didn't materialize. It can materialize. You're choosing to go back. And what really, really frustrates me is if it was a one-off and you're saying, well, the pool is strong, the Mexican pool is strong, yeah. and there's a bunch of players abroad, a bunch of Mexican players abroad in Europe, this is just one of many. Let him do what's best for him. Let him regress if he wants to. You're hurting an already weak and thin Mexicans abroad pool. You're one of the few that are in Europe, one of the few that are in Europe and actually playing, and now you're coming back. So... It's it's sad because I, I do think he's a very talented left back. I hate this, but I think I understand it from Artiaga. I mean, this is a guy who made it very clear that he wanted to make the move from Gank. He kind of allowed his contract to play out as such. And I don't know if you remember, Herc, there was a while maybe 12 months ago, 18 months ago, where Gerardo Artiaga was getting, like, Premier League links and Bundesliga links. And we thought, okay, there's there's going to be a a big move for this guy in the future. There's going to be a big potential. That all seemed to dry up. And I think if, if those were opportunities for him, surely he would be making those moves. This is a guy who has ambition. He went to Europe. He, 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 you know, he really gutted it out in, in, in a league like Belgium. I got to think if there was anywhere in Europe that he could go that was a move up, he would do it. I think you're right. Genk is a trampoline. I just don't think it's a trampoline that worked for this player. And I think a lot of that, Herc, goes back to what I mentioned in the VO, which is that he was one of the unused players for Mexico in the World Cup. I think I would have loved to see him more. And now I have to sit here and wonder, and this goes back to your point about not a lot of Mexicans playing in Europe and at big clubs in Europe, what, what was missed? Another opportunity missed by Tata Martino to play a young guy, give him an opportunity at a World Cup, potentially do something that would open up a door for something big in Mexican soccer. And it's just such a shame because a year, a year and a half ago, Herc, we were talking about big things for this player. And now we're talking about going back to Liga Mekis. I don't know. Do you think it takes him out of the national team picture? I think at that left no, back spot, absolutely, you know, absolutely not, but I also think... Rayados, I absolutely don't think it takes him out of the national team picture, but I think it opens a door for somebody like Mm. Omar Campos, you know, who, who's, who's doing very well for Santos, who's an attacking player who can potentially go abroad or make a move somewhere else to a bigger team and then get noticed. Uh, I understand what you're saying about Tata Martino. And I do think at some point it became very murky between the two because if you remember correctly, yep. the Olympic Games, he doesn't go to the Olympic Games in Tokyo and he cites personal reasons because he wanted to go on vacation with his family. He, uh, some people cited mental health. Other people cited he was, it was fatigue, whatever the case. But Tata Martino and his people took that very personally. Yeah. Uh, Gerardo Artiaga then didn't play in the World Cup and could be close to a move back to Liga MX and Club America. Speaking of potential moves, Herc, Miles Robinson, the 26-year-old American defender, uh, is a free agent after his contract with Atlanta United expired. The U.S. international has long been linked to a move overseas, but he reportedly met with FC Cincinnati recently. Shout out to uh, Tom Bogart at The Athletic. I think he was the first to report that. 
And it appears that Miles Robinson could be contemplating a stay in Major League Soccer. Herc, what say you? Should he stay or should he go? All right, so I'm always for the player leaving, for the player leaving to a better opportunity, test himself at the highest level. I think that's beneficial to the player, beneficial to the national team. But with Miles Robinson, it's an interesting case because I think not many people have him penned as center back one or center back two. I actually do, and I think Greg Berhalter does as well. I think Greg Berhalter has him penned as somebody who he can count on. Here's the thing with Miles Robinson and why this one is a individually per case situation. He's going to be 27 next season. He's coming off a torn Achilles, you know, first season coming back from a torn Achilles, playing on turf, playing on that Atlanta turf. And I'm going to read some of the names on this pool, on the center back pool. You've got guys like Tim Ream, Chris Richards, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Walker Zimmerman, Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie, James Sands, Matt Miazga, if you'd like. And then in one or two years, you could have potential center backs coming down the pipeline for the U.S. men's national team like Brandon Craig. Jalen Neal, uh, 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 Joshua Winder, if you will. So I could understand his logic of my time is running out. I've not made money. I have to make some money. Let me see if I can parlay this in the Major League Soccer market and, and make a Walker Zimmerman type of DP deal. Maybe there's a market for him. I believe there is in Major League Soccer because you're not going to get that money abroad. And that's a reality. Each case should be case by case when it comes of a certain age. I think Miles Robinson is now of a certain age. Interesting. This feels like a lot of Liga Mekis guys, doesn't it? Like a factor of economics type thing. Like you are worth more in MLS than somebody in Europe's going to pay you. There might be an opportunity in 27. Europe. But you're, you're worth more here than you're ever going to get paid. Remember this happened in MLS, I don't know, back when you were playing with guys like uh, Graham Zussi and Matt Beasler, where they... We're good players, kind of mid-20s, solid MLS players. And the MLS teams, at least in that case, Sporting Kansas City, was willing to pay those guys much more than they would have probably been able to command in Europe, even though both of them in their own ways probably could have found a level in Europe. I thought that was you know, something that, outside of those two examples, pretty much only happened in Mexico. Here it's happening in MLS. We talked about Gerardo Arteaga, and you said the move wouldn't impact his national team chances. I got to think, Kirk, if Miles Robinson does stay in MLS, it will impact his national team chances, no matter where you think of him, you know, or where Greg Berhalter says he is right now in that one-two. There's a lot of competition right there. And if you're going to stay in MLS while more and more and more guys go over to Europe, I mean, look, look at the last roster, Herc, that, that U.S. soccer called up. Miles Robinson was the only MLS guy in it. There's, there's going to be a time in the next few years well, we're just not going to have MLS guys in this roster. Do you think Miles Robinson is so good that while all this development is happening in Europe and we got, you know, it's close to hundreds of guys over in Europe and dozens of center backs soon that he's still in MLS going to be able to be a national team contributor? Because that's, that's what he's got away here. I get it, the money, but as a guy who just missed out, heartbreaking fashion, the injury on a World Cup, boy, I think if he wants that national team, he's got to go. And we know there's interest. Uh, Ernie Stewart. He said it publicly. He wants him at PSV. Yeah, can PSV afford him at the rate that maybe other teams in the States can afford him? Or Major League Soccer being, could be in Canada as well? I don't know. Do I think he risks losing his job if he stays in Major League Soccer? Absolutely. Do I think Greg Berhalter feels that way? No. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Miles Robinson, by the way, a super draft 
choice. I think it was uh, number two back in uh, 2017. It's all right, Herc, time for our parting shot here on Football Americas. And it's the latest news on NWSL free agency. And there's a lot of big news here, Herc. Uh, Christy Mewis set to go to West Ham in England from Gotham FC, where she just picked up the title. Tierna Davidson heading to Gotham FC, who has also been linked with uh, Roosevelt and Emily Sonnet. Uh, look out, the rich getting richer. Uh, Sarah Gordon staying at Angel City FC. And speaking of Angel City FC, Savannah McCaskill crossing lines in the Chanclásico rivalry, going to the San Diego way from Angel City, Herc. Uh, boy, that's how you make a rivalry. I thought she was a, a fan favorite there for Angel City. She is. She was also the leading goal scorer the last two seasons, so this one hurts. And please don't ever call it the Chanclásico ever again. Oh, I forbid you from... But that one really hurts. Sarah Gordon back in the fold. We appreciate that one. Uh, can I just very quickly say... Are, are we still doing the draft for the NWSL? Like, what a traumatic experience for any player doing that. In any type of job market, in any type of field, mm -hmm. what you want is some type of control. People don't understand what this is like for these players. It, it's abysmal, and I hope they get rid of it. Yes. Uh, you must be reading Jeff Kasuf's articles. He is very anti-draft in the NWSL. Of course, we also had the uh, MLS Super Draft uh, in Major League Soccer. By the way, there was another Bethesda Soccer Club player uh, drafted. I believe it was also second overall this year. So uh, just an absolute powerhouse here in the nation's capital. It's, it's actually strange, Herc, how I could have played at that club and turned out to be such a bad player with all these other good ones. Uh, but that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. There he is, Hercules Gomez. You said we will be me. back on Monday with the first of three holiday specials. On Monday, it's our World Cup special. One year on from Qatar 2022. A look back at the biggest storylines of the World Cup and how they've evolved in the year since. That's Four it for us here on Football Americas. We'll see you next time.